Today on the 1012 Podcast, Andy and guest Gerald Goodridge join me to recap week one of the Big 12, whose disappointing loss is the most concerning, the Ted Cruz curse, if you're not aware of it, should we be worried about Jalen Daniels, is it time to actually fear the nightmare scenario, and a whole lot more, plus a look ahead to the best games on a loaded week two schedule. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network. Find every show on the network at 1012network.com, T E N, the number 12, the word network. And we are partners with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us uh, for this holiday episode holiday edition every year my wife looks at me and is like are you are you going to record tonight since tomorrow's a holiday and every year i go yes um i'm going to because i have to, the people demand it and so i must make big 12 fans happy by providing them with something to listen to on a holiday monday and it's the first weekend that you can't just be like i'm sorry i know it's the first weekend of the year we got to take it no the season, the off season's over. We got things to talk about. I'm excited to do so. Joining me as he does every Monday during the season, he is the Rock Chalk Podcast host himself, Andy Mitz. Great to be here. Look, it was a great week one for the majority of the Big 12, so we will um, celebrate that and move on. Majority feels a bit generous. Hey, it was uh, more we'll than 50%. That. Okay, you know what? Mathematically, you are not incorrect. Uh, Jamie is doing some family Christmas. Yes, it is September. Uh, so in her stead, we are excited to have uh, one of the newest additions to the 1012 Network. That is the host of the Longhorn Republic podcast. Well, one of the hosts of our Texas show, Gerald Goodridge. Gerald, welcome, sir. I mean, you can call me the host. That's fine. Kyle, I mean, I'll, I hold loaded over Kyle's head for the rest of our lives. And so I'm glad to be here. This is my first time coming on like as a member of the network. So this is this is fun. I know it was just it felt right. And I was like, why would you bring a Texas guy on? Like, Because they're still in the conference this year. OK, <laughs> and Gerald's good people. And I, and you will you will understand by the end of this. OK, Um, wherever you are listening right now, uh, if you're listening to the podcast format, please leave five stars and a positive review. It really does help the show out. If you are listening to this on YouTube, like the video, subscribe, leave us a comment. I'm happy to respond if I see it, if it's worth responding too. Like if you're just going to be rude, I, I will ignore you. I am allowed to do so. Look folks, after continuously pounding the table all off season about how week one slate was a bit disappointing in the big 12 and nationally, frankly, for college football week one, a disappointing week heading into the year did what week one often does. It delivered some absolute gold. TCU fans won't agree, but TCU Colorado was an, not just because it was surprising that it was as good as it was, was an absolutely fantastic college football game. Oh, look, I, I look, uh, we can talk about Colorado because they're joining the big 12. They're coming back to the big 12. I, I, should we just go ahead and start having the Colorado big 12, 2024 conference champions conversation now? Is that too much of an overreaction to one game yes, in week yes, one? It's way too era? much of an overreaction, Philip. I will say now, at I just least... want to be the first. I want to be the first to put it out there so okay, that I can say okay. it was me. 
much like me talking about Kansas going to a bowl game on January 1st, the, you know, before. So yeah, no, I, I understand the wanting to be early to something, but I think that game specifically just showed that Colorado coming to the big 12 is going to be fantastic. Like, you know, coach, coach prime has them at least to where it's going to be entertaining football. And, and that's really all you can ask for the, from the new four schools coming in. I mean, fantastic, depending on who, like your perspective, right? Cause they might be better than we expect them coming in. So like, that's going to be an interesting perspective for those that are staying in the big 12, right? Like is it can coach prime turn this thing around way quicker. Uh, I think he's proven that like year zero might not be a thing for coaches soon. Cause Colorado was hot butt cheeks last year and uh, they were absolutely not uh, yesterday in Fort worth. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, three teams had very disappointing Saturdays. We're going to talk about all three Baylor TCU and Texas tech. Baylor had a very similar issue that TCU did. It's just flown under the radar because people don't know enough about Texas State and what G.J. Kinney is doing down there in San Marcos, if I remember correctly. Yep, uh, yep. Thank you. Sometimes I remember things. Uh, Kinney kind of did a combination of what Dion's doing in Colorado and what they've been doing at Western Kentucky for a while. He was at Incarnate Word last year. Brings up basically most of his coaching staff, brings a lot of his players, portals like crazy because that roster was awful. Now, the difference is, of course, G.J. Kenny is very much going to lean into the next UTSA of we're going to be hyper-local, hyper-focused on Texas. We want the head coaches of the high school teams to come here. But for year one, it was a lot of portaling and a lot of bringing guys in because they didn't like the look of the roster. Lo and behold... Basically, Texas State did to Baylor the same thing that TCU or Colorado did to TCU. These are very, very similar situations, both by opponent, not by outcome. Um, TCU at least was respectful in that game. We can question, you know, the secondary being surprisingly bad for TCU. And hey, guess what? A Bryles wasn't worth the hire after all. Uh, meanwhile, in Baylor, that was just bad. So let I me. Mean, you take those two, you take Texas Tech going to Laramie, Wyoming, losing in double overtime to Wyoming in a game that felt a little trappy, but you thought Texas Tech should have been able to come away with that one, especially since they started with a 17 to nothing lead. Here's my question for you guys. All lose a double-digit favorites. Which one are you most concerned about at this point? I think for for me, I think Texas Tech blowing the lead is the reason why I feel like I'm the most concerned, right? Like, um, and I was a big Tyler Shuck. I don't want to say advocate because that's just not who I am, but um, like Texas Tech going into that game was like eight and one with Tyler Shuck. Like I thought the dude was going to play really well, um, and he struggled late, and that's part of the reason why Wyoming was able to pull off that comeback. And I think you know if you took the uniforms off and you asked me which of the two was the Big Twelve quarterback, I may have picked the Wyoming quarterback, especially the way. He played late so um i think that's concerning because that's a that's a team that needs tyler shuck to be the dude and they were expecting him to be the dude and i think that is uh you know joey mcguire kind of thumping his chest about things running through lubbock beside you know um that's an embarrassing kind of demoralizing thing to happen early in the season. So I'm curious to see if they can circle the wagons and keep things uh on rails that's something that could kind of turn into two losses and two losses start to to fester really quick i mean I was definitely concerned about the Texas Tech one. I mean, they jumped out to such a quick start, and then all of a sudden everything went flat. And I I do think that 
what we saw last year kind of made us forget about how young this team is and how kind of new everybody is to playing in the big 12. Um, you know I mean? And, and then you talk about like Joey McGuire is his first, his first head coaching job, you know, at the college level. So like you have these types of years where not everything goes, you know, the way that you want. And the question of course is, is this an indication of things to come or was this the wake up call that they need to refocus and get ready for the big 12? I still think that Texas tech has the talent and they have the coaching to be able to put a good season together. I am extremely worried about Baylor. Blake Shapin looked awful. Um, you know, you brought in, you know, you've, you've brought in a decent amount of stuff at Baylor and they can't seem to get anything going. And look, Dave Aranda, I think is a great coach, but I don't know that his roster is going to be anywhere near where it needs to be to be competitive in the big 12. And obviously recruiting is a big part of being a head coach at the power five football level. So, you know, all the shine that came on Dave Aranda, I think he's a good X's and O's coach on the field, but if you don't have the talent to be able to play well, then that's a really big problem. You can only do so much with the talent that you have. So I'm worried about the roster. And I mean, you know, I, I am worried about that offense, the way that that offense plays. There is absolutely no reason one that Texas state should have been able to score as much as they did as often as they did against Baylor. But you know, that kind of happens in early games, right? Where offenses are usually much further along than defenses in terms of knowing what they want to do and being able to read coverages and all of that stuff. So I, I'm not necessarily that worried that they gave up a decent amount of points in that first game, but that offense looks just awful. And so, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. Like I, I I'm pretty comfortable saying that Baylor looks like the worst team in the big 12 right now. I have been a big, sorry, go ahead, Gerald. No, I was just gonna say, I think, I feel like Chapin may have been like hobbling a little bit. It's like, that's something to monitor as well. And that's like, if yeah, he's, he was banged up. It's it's tough to like judge him based off like a leg and a half. Like that's something that I'm curious about to see what that turns into, what the injury is, especially if he's banged up this early. Like the Big 12 is a meat grinder. We say it on, on our podcast all the time. The Big 12 is just a ball of freaking knives every other week. And so if you're already banged up at the quarterback spot in week one, that is something to, to monitor uh, early and often. Well, and well, then you throw in Utah coming to town and, and their start to conference play is, is Texas and UCF and Texas. Like it's, and Baylor's schedule is not easy. I, I for Baylor, I have I have been a a proud Dave Aranda supporter, card carrying vendor of the. I would like to sit and listen to Dave Aranda story time every day at the library. Um, when when the thing that you are supposed to be best at is getting worse each year, that is a concern. Baylor's defense was so good in 21 it took a step back last year this is a pretty big step back this year you brought in a new defensive coordinator you replaced your secondary coach because secondary has been suspect at baylor since he took over that's been the weakness it just seems to keep getting worse the secondary was not good on saturday why do you think that texas state was able to burn them so many times like i baylor wants to be utah which is ironic because they're playing utah next week and that i can't believe that line's only like seven points um i just that it mm, that was that was bad that, that, i really expected a bounce back here and it's hard not to look at baylor and both who they played the difference between texas state and colorado is you had no idea what the hell colorado was going to look like you just right. had you had no idea because there were so many different players coming in a lot of uh, texas state like Dave Aranda talked about what they expected from Texas State. They knew what Texas State was going to do. They they 
you just could watch Incarnate Word tape from last year and just that's what it's going to happen. And Hex State did whatever it wanted anyways. Like it wasn't like uh, it's kind of a mystery, a riddle, a puzzle, a quest. No, 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 no. You knew you had tape on this offense. You knew what was coming in and still could not do anything to stop it. Well, and it's it's also like Colorado, I think, did enough things differently from what Dion, you know, did at Jacksonville State that you could easily say, hey, look, they did, you know, different stuff. And obviously they had better players and like it was a much bigger jump upwards. Um, you know, this was to your point, this was bad enough that like last week, you know, we were saying, you know, in terms of openings in the Big 12, and I was like, if if you know, if Baylor has a really good year, Dave Aranda might get hired away. I think Honestly, if this is the kind of year they're going to have, it could get pretty bad pretty quick. And there's a chance that Baylor may decide to move on. Like if stuff is getting worse over, you know, three straight years and it's the bottom's completely falling out. Baylor's not that far removed from being a, you know, a very struggling program. And I don't know that the boosters are going to have the kind of patience that you need to allow Aranda to turn around if it continues to get worse throughout the season. I'm not saying he's going to get fired this year, but if this is like just the beginning of the fall, then that could be a really big issue for, for Baylor and then Aranda at Baylor. I think part of the conversation we have to like add some nuance to this is like TJ Finley was not part of the incarnate word offense. And TJ Finley is a, is a solid quarterback. I mean, Steve Ellensminger went to war for that kid at uh, LSU before he, you know, transferred to, to Auburn. But like, he was a guy that Ensminger, who's a very respected offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, um, you know, recruited to LSU. He was an sec talent quarterback coming in. So like, that is something I think is a caveat. We need to put a TJ Lindsay, Kind of just look, TJ Finley, excuse me, kind of just look like a dude though. And so, like, he's he was a three star kid at Texas State, so you don't necessarily expect him to look like a world beater. So I think, but the nuance there is like TJ Finley is also not something to sneeze at at quarterback. It's fair. It's a valid point. Um, look, folks, we're used to this. You know, sometimes coaches have really great single years, but the best coaches can keep doing it. Perfectly fine coaches can do it once. We'll see if they can turn things around there in Waco uh, before things just get run away. This is Texas State's first ever win over a Power 5 opponent. Good job if you want to have that little fact. This was also, as Texas State was a 27.5 point underdog, uh, this is the biggest upset in college football since Kansas beat Texas in Austin. Uh, in that happened? Did that happen? Yes. It, I, I the, the history books tell me that it did. Uh, I've been racking my memory, and I think I recall something about an Applebee's commercial afterwards. But I think that's I think that's right. Um, now maybe it's Texas State was just really good. Maybe it was T.J. Finley. Maybe it's Dave Aranda's not as good as we think he, that he is. Or maybe Baylor lost on Saturday due to no fault of their own, but simply because of the Ted Cruz curse. Uh, shout out to Shahan J. Rajik, our friend here on the show, who works for CBS uh, Sports, who. Pointed out to all of us that Ted Cruz was there in the president's suite in Waco at the game that Baylor lost. If those of you aren't aware what we're talking about, you know who Ted Cruz is, if I have to tell you. I'm not gonna. Uh, There has been a thing in Texas where fan bases prefer mostly that Ted Cruz, most fans in the fan base, would prefer Ted Cruz not come to their sporting events that started back in 2018 when the Rockets were hosting uh, the... uh, Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. They were going to get to the NBA Finals. This was going to be Houston's turn. Ted Cruz tweeted about being there. Houston got 
uh, mollywopped. Uh, this has happened apparently multiple times at Astros games. The 2019 Texas Tech National Championship game in men's basketball. They were there. They had a lead. You were Texas Tech fans were excited. They were just like, this is going to happen. We're going to win a national championship. Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho. Uh, with 35 seconds left in the game, Texas Tech leading by one point, uh, Ted Cruz took to Twitter to post a selfie and offer his support. Uh, quote, one point lead, go Red Raiders, number one defense, he wrote and posted on Twitter. As many of you know, Virginia then went on to win that one. My favorite Ted Cruz thing of all time is the photo that he posted to social media uh, during the 2021 NCAA tournament uh, in which a Baylor was facing Houston. He had on a Baylor polo and a Houston, Houston Cougars hat. So maybe it's just that the Ted Cruz curse got Baylor this weekend. He was also uh, drinking a Sam Adams guy. Couldn't even be bothered to like buy a Texas beer, right? Like, let's just, first of all, like Lone Star exists. Shiner's really good. Shiner Blonde is incredible. Drinking a Sam Adams. Like you're trying to rep your state real hard, but you're drinking a Sam Adams. Way to show that you are actually from Canada and Ivy League educated. Let's just point that out while we're here. Uh, so it's just uh, the moral of the story is, the moral of the story is don't invite Ted Cruz to your game. I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering when his phone. athletic programs are going to ban him from, you know, coming to and like block him on social media and all of this stuff so that he can't do that. It got so bad. He boarded a flight to Cancun at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, as for Texas Tech, uh, not only was the loss bad, it uh, was part of a really, really rough weekend. West uh, Wyoming football beat Texas Tech. Wyoming beat Texas Tech in volleyball. And Wyoming beat Texas Tech in track. All this weekend, Texas Tech will never be putting Wyoming on the schedule ever again. Other than the one they or already have they? on the schedule. 2028. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know the rest of the song. I'm not going to do it. And I don't have the rights to it. So um, let's, <laughs> let's move on uh, to... Okay, here's the conversation we're going to have. Um, and and to some extent, it's fair, and to some extent, it's not. But we talked about this in the summer. We talked about the nightmare scenario. Every podcast is someone's first. So I'm going to lay out what the nightmare scenario is for you. That is the Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners making it to Arlington for the conference championship game before they leave for the SEC and taking the trophy with them, never to for it to be seen. Again, by the way, if that happens, you're building a new, you're making a new trophy. Like I just designed something brand new. <laughs> I don't care what it is. You can cobble together just like stuff from your Mark's home. It's fine. Just make something new. Uh, for Texas this weekend, getting the win over Rice, thirty-seven to ten, uh, closer than expected at halftime. I we did the offensive line rankings here on the show this summer. Texas offensive line a little bit. Um, Left a little bit to be desired in that first half, I think, to be fair. Meanwhile, Oklahoma facing Arkansas State, a team I didn't think was the worst team in the FBS. Might be. We'll find out. We learn new things every day. Uh, they beat Arkansas State 73-0. to Arkansas State put up 208 total offensive yards. Oklahoma scored on every drive except for one, and that was the final one. Boys, and I'm so glad Gerald's here for this. Uh, is it is it too early to start being legitimately worried about the nightmare scenario? Because there is an itch in the back of my skull that I can't seem to scratch. And it's just after Saturday, it's it's a little bit itchier. Just a little bit. 
Do we have the the rights to the uh, the reigns of Castamere from uh, Game of Thrones? Because that's that's what I want to play when this happens. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Bob's Bob Bowlesby sends his regards, right? Like that. That's what. Uh, that's like. I, I mean, is it a nightmare for for me? No, I think it's great. Um, but I think you know they looked like two of the better teams in the conference. I mean, OU. I mean. You know, we'll know what you know Arkansas State is, or you know what what they are later in the season. But um, you know, OU Dylan Gabriel looks to have improved on some of the things that he struggled with last year. I think fans are still like, how are you frustrated with a 300 yard performance in which you win by basically 80 points? Um, but you know, Dylan Gabriel did Dylan Gabriel things. Um, you know, I if you listen, go back and listen to our offensive line preview for the for the Texas Longhorns, like the interior of the offensive line is a question will continue to be a question. Um, DJ Campbell, the guy who's kind of supposed to be the five-star talent continues to have bad eyes and pass protection and gets beat by simple twist stunts. Like the kind of formula is right there on paper. Um, but you know, they, they managed to put things together. Quinn Ewers found some rhythm when passing in the intermediate game. So, uh, you know, I think those two, at least from my perspective, like, I don't know, I mean, based on especially what we saw from the other teams of the state of Texas, um, I, mean, I don't know what the the challenge is going to be for those two. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would uh, think that the nightmare scenario is any more likely than it was before the weekend started. Because, look, I mean, I think I think Texas showed that they were the collection of talent we thought that they were. There was questions about kind of putting everything together, and I I saw enough weaknesses in what Texas does that it could be a problem later, but that was nothing different than what I saw coming in the year, right? Like questions about the offensive line is Quinn Ewers going to be able to put it together to get the offense consistently moving. And is the defense as good as they ended, you know, last year? I, I think you can still have those types of questions, maybe not about the defense, but I don't think Rice was going to tell us anything about that. Um, like, I don't know anything different, right, about Texas. So I still think they have a good shot of making it to Arlington, but I thought they had a good shot of making it to Arlington before this game actually happened. Oklahoma, on the other hand, they played a team that was absolutely not ready at all for anything they wanted to do. There comes a point, right, like the, you know, 73 nothing is a gaudy number, and you're like, whoa, oh, my gosh. But Oklahoma's done this before and then not played up to it later. Arkansas State, I think, honestly, I was not, like, you know, they were, like, 130th or something like that in Sagarin rating, in, in the Sagarin ratings. So, like, middle of the pack when you take all of, you know, FCS and, and FBS together. I don't, I don't know that I was that shocked, right? Like Oklahoma was, is again, coming into the year, I thought they were either going to be a team that was, everything was going to roll and they were going to look absolutely phenomenal in a particular game or everything was going to fall apart and they're going to lose the game horribly. This was not the type of opponent that was going to give Oklahoma problems. So again, I still think that they have just as much of a, you know, a, an opportunity to make it as they did before. I just like, I don't think that this week's, makes that more likely i think you can still be worried about it but you shouldn't be more worried about it uh, i will remind everyone uh the scores of ou's first three games last season 45 13 33 3 and 49 to 14 they started 3 and 0 then subsequently went 3 and 7 the rest of the way. A uh, couple of quarterback notes. Shout out to our good friend Parker Fleming. Stats of War on Twitter. Uh, Big 12 QBR in week one. Number one in the Big 12, 97.1 rating, Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma. Now, this is of eligible quarterbacks. You had to play a certain number of snaps. Down there at 11th, Gerald Quinn Ewers at a 56.9 
shout out to Joe Cook on Twitter. That's at josephcook89, uh, who put out the throw chart for Quinn Ewers. Throw chart. Throw chart. Huh. Uh, only if it's a deep pass. Some of those. Because he was 0-4-6 on anything 20 yards or further down the field, which has been an issue for Ewers during his time at Texas, despite having Xavier Worthy on the roster. Gerald, any thoughts on, on Ewers in game one? If he looks like, uh, you know, if the haircut actually did him good or if it's still a little bit of the same stuff? Uh, I think it's a little bit of the same stuff. It, it, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Quinn Ewers plays quarterback like a guy who's been the most talented guy on the field his entire life. Like if you look at his fundamentals, his footwork, uh, some of the decisions he makes in the pocket, you know, when he was at South Lake Carroll, he was one of, you know, if not the best player on every field he walked onto. So I think part of the issue is just him getting the mental reps of set my feet when I throw the ball, set my feet when I throw the ball. Cause that's really the big thing and why his deep ball floats on him is like, he's throwing it off of his back foot, like a doofus. Um, I do think when Texas gave him more intermediate passes, when they took advantage of honestly, what Xavier where they does best, which is route running. Uh, he did really well. He was able to find some space. He hit uh, Jatavian Sanders in space and Jatavian Sanders did what five-star players do and outran everybody on the field. So like, you know, I don't know if I, I hope at least Steve Sarkeesian uh, goes away from this, you know, go ball down the right sideline. I think they threw five of those yesterday and none of them completed. They were 0 for 5 on that. Um, so, like, it's just not a great look. And I wonder um, at some point the coach has to take some responsibility for calling those as well. Uh, so that's another conversation for another day. But I think um, it's the same old stuff we've been wanting viewers to fix for now. What is it a year? One thing that is not a nightmare scenario is shopping at Charlie Hustle this season to outfit yourself for every game day Saturday. If you watched or seen anything from Kansas State social media, you may have noticed Deuce Vaughn was at the game rocking an absolutely incredible beef offensive line shirt for Kansas State. That is available from charliehustle.com. Folks, it's an offensive line. It's a shirt about an offensive line that says beef in giant purple letters. I don't know. If I have to do anything else to sell this shirt to you, I don't, I, you just don't, we're just not going to be friends. They have every Big 12 school except for Cincinnati. And Charlie Hustle is, look, there's a reason that we have partnered with Charlie Hustle this year, and it's because they are invested in the Big 12. They want to work with the Big 12, and the kind of stuff they've created for the Big 12 schools is immaculate and fantastic and they are incredibly comfortable they are very unique they are fantastic vintage apparel you need to go to charliehustle.com and shop today when you do do not forget to use the promo code 101215 that's t-e-n-1215 for 15 percent off your order on any non-sale items you notice i didn't say first time purchase I just said any non-sale items. So make as many purchases. You want to make a purchase for yourself now? You want to make another purchase later? You want to make some Christmas purchases coming up because there's some stuff in there you think that friends and family would like? Go to charliehustle.com. I mean, it's just it's just incredible stuff. The Jalen Daniels shirt is fantastic. The Kansas State stuff is great. They have, I think, the best UCF Citronaut t-shirt I have seen anyone put out. It is I have to, I, I've needed this UCF shirt for my uh, collection. It's that's gonna be that's gonna be the one. It's it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen very soon. So CharlieHustle.com promo code ten twelve fifteen T E N one two one five for fifteen percent off your order on any non sale items. Go shop CharlieHustle.com today. 
Uh, Houston, I want to note Houston here because I think Houston had the best win of the weekend for the Big 12. And it's not about how they won. It is about having the best opponent that they beat by beating UTSA 17 to 14. Again, I am, I'm a, I'm a big UTSA fan. How can you not love the Roadrunners meep meep? Uh, look, the Houston defense played very well. Um, this is, this was a, an issue for them last season. I thought the secondary looked pretty good. I watched as much of this game as I could. It wasn't as much fun as I had hoped this game would be. It was being 17, 14 and Houston kind of kept UTSA at arm's length for most of the game. And then we had a nice controversial ball spot at the end of the game that sealed it for Houston and kept things spicy and just kind of helps make me hope that this game keeps getting played. I had some Houston fans like all caps get angry at me about the idea they should play this game every year. I think you should play this game every year. Like I I love non-conference annual rivalry games. Like just play home and home with UTSA. It would be incredible. I don't want to hear about like, just, just, it's the same reason I get mad at West Virginia for never playing Marshall. Like, get over yourselves. Play the in-state stuff. In-state stuff is fun. Go play this game. I thought it was uh, not as exciting as I wanted, but it was a good win for Houston and a very good way for Dana Holgerson to start his Big 12 return era, especially because, I mean, UTSA was favored and I think there were people were pretty split on how this game would go. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a good win, like you said, mainly because you're right. Like, if you go to the Sagarin ratings coming into the week, like UTSA was the highest rated of any of the opponents for the Big 12 schools. Um, and I do agree with you. Like, yeah, it was, a, it was a close win. It was much better than last year where, you know, they had a three overtime win over UTSA at the beginning of the year um, where the defenses kind of looked suspect and then they really kind of bombed out after that. The hope is that they can continue, right? Like they play Rice up next. Rice gets to play three Big 12 schools. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Two. I was thinking Wyoming for some reason playing Texas. But regardless, there, there's multiple shared opponents between different, you know, Big 12 schools in the in the non-conference. But, you know, I, I think, I, I mean, I'm looking at Houston and that win, and it was impressive. The question becomes, it was expected to be a close game. I don't know that it changes, again, my outlook, but they did what they had to do against the most difficult opponent that was in the big, or, you know, that was in the big 12 slate this week. So give them those props and then we'll wait and see what happens in the next couple of weeks. And I mean, I think for a game, like you said, Philip, that it was expected to be favored. And a lot of folks picked UTSA in that one. Uh, they made Frank Harris look pretty pedestrian. And Frank Harris is a reigning conference player of the year, two time all conference quarterback. Um, you know, I saw him do some things against Texas that I wish he hadn't a year ago. And like Frank Harris is a good quarterback and he didn't throw a touch. He threw three interceptions at a touchdown, didn't throw a touchdown till five minutes left in the game. Like he played so poorly, like Houston forced him into that, but he apologized on Twitter last night. Like he, that is, I think, the most impressive thing about it is they're able to shut down one of the more dynamic playmakers that any anybody played non-conference. I know Shader Sanders, like notwithstanding, but like Frank Harris is a legitimately good quarterback and he looked bad against Houston's defense. And that's what Houston had to do in that game is ugly it up because I, I don't think they would have survived a shootout with UTSA. And so they did exactly what they needed to do. Ugly. I have a feeling we're going to see some ugly football. Ugly wins. Houston's not the only team that may have to win ugly this season. Um, Andy. Kansas beat Missouri State on Friday night without Jalen Daniels. Jason Bean uh, started the game in his stead, played the whole game. According to Brett McMurphy, Jalen Daniels, who, who missed last week's game versus Missouri State, with back tightness, is expected to play this Friday versus Illinois. Source told Action Network headquarters, Daniels, of course, Big 12 preseason offensive player of the year. Andy, 
I mean, we, we were led to believe Jalen Daniels would start against Missouri State this week. We've heard about the back issues kind of throughout the offseason. Should we legitimately be concerned about Jalen Daniels in Kansas this season? No, not at all. Um, the reason being, you know, Lance Leipold at the beginning of the week last week said that Jalen Daniels back at practice, full participant in practice, you know, is able to kind of do what he needs to do. He, though, however, was not getting most of the snaps because he was in there doing all the different things, but he wasn't. He wasn't there the entire time. And Jason Bean took the majority of the snaps in practice. They got to, you know, Thursday afternoon, Friday morning. And basically the the general consensus was that J- while Jalen Daniels had come back and was able to go if he absolutely needed to, he had not done enough, right, in, uh, in the reps throughout the week to push him above Jason Bean, who had been doing all those reps, all those first team reps. So it makes sense when, when you talk about it afterwards. I did find it a little strange that they announced Jalen Daniels as a starter and then he didn't appear in the game, but I'm also not that surprised. Like you're bringing a guy back from a back injury, which depending on who you believe there, there's a rumor floating out there that he strained his back uh, filming a frosted flakes commercial, but I don't know if that's actually what happened or if that's just someone making a really bad joke, either way, like the fact that he's had these lingering back issues might have you a little bit worried but it seems like he's far enough in the mend that I don't know. Like, unless he leaves this Illinois game with an injury, like with a back injury, I don't think you necessarily need to be concerned about him playing the rest of the year. The real question is going to be how long is it going to take him to get back to 100%. I think they have a little bit of time to get that figured out. You know, I think that their their next three games, they could win with a, you know, 80% Jalen Daniels. Um, obviously, a lot of other things have, have to go right for them, but if he's not back to full strength by the Texas game, then then I think that's when you start to worry. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm gonna be worried until I see him on the field and he looks healthy. Like I, I you can say everything's fine. People say a lot of things. Um, I'm an Oklahoma State fan. I'm used to Gundy <laughs> saying a lot of things um, that aren't true. So until I actually see him on the field in a game in a jersey with a helmet on, playing football. I'm I'm going to be concerned. So no, I, I do I, think I, though that the calculus changes a little bit when you have a backup like Jason Bean, right? Like you don't have to rush Jalen Daniels back because Jason Bean can do probably ninety percent of what Jalen Daniels can do, um, maybe a little bit more, depending on on what exactly you're asking him to do. Like there's some potential issues with accuracy down the field or down the field compared to Jalen Daniels. You know, there's a, a few other things here and there, but he's faster than Jalen Daniels on the run, in the run game. So like it changes what you do a little bit. But for the most part, if, if Kansas had Jason Bean the entire year, they would still be okay. They wouldn't be as good as they could be, but I still think that they would be a fairly good team. It's just the question of how, you know, how special can Jalen Daniels have of a year if he's able to get back to full strength. You mentioned you mentioned calculus. I am I am a journalism, like a communications guy, so it's not my strong suit, but like I think Missouri, Missouri State also probably played into the fact that they didn't play Jalen Daniels. Like if you don't if they still won by 31 points. So like clearly they did not need their their number one guy to risk something in that game, right? Your nightmare scenario is you play him in a game he doesn't need to play and it gets worse. And then your season goes belly up. And so that that's probably part of the equation. Like if you don't need him, yep. and I'm sure like if at halftime things are dicey and they really need him, he comes out of that locker room like Superman and starts his freaking Heisman campaign, well, right? But <laughs> funny, like, funny you should say that because honestly, going into halftime, they were not nearly as far ahead as they should have been. Um, but a lot of that was, you know, you had a, Di- a Daniel Highshaw fumble at midfield that they were then able to go drive and get a touchdown thanks to a roughing the passer penalty from a guy who 
was trying to make a play, slipped, went down to his knees, and then lunged the quarterback's legs. Those two things allowed, yeah. you know, Missouri State to score and keep it somewhat close. And then Kansas just took a little while to get out of their funk. Not really stuff that I'm necessarily that worried about. Yes, the, the fumble was an issue because that was an issue for Kansas last year. They were just really good at falling on fumbles that they, you know, gave up. Um, so that's something to kind of keep an eye on, right? Is are the running backs going to be able to hold on to the ball? But I think for the most part, you saw Kansas has four different running backs that, you know, are all able to have a big explosive play. They have a whole bunch of wide receivers that you can get the ball to, you know, like they have a lot of weapons on offense. It's just a question of like, are they going to have another game where it takes three quarters for it to click? I don't fault anyone for having a, a out of the gate hiccups in week one. Like it happens, which is right. perfectly fine. It's, it's more about how you finish than how you start. Uh, let's kind of run through some of the other scores around the big 12 UCF 56, Kent state six Kent state. As we said on the picks pod last week, might be the worst team in FBS, Arkansas state coming for that trophy horde. Uh, I'm still going to give credit UCF for doing what they're supposed to do to potentially the worst team in FBS. Like, yes, it's a big blowout win. It's not that big of a deal of an opponent. You deserve credit for doing what you're supposed to do. We don't give teams enough credit for that. Uh, Iowa State 30, UNI 9. Iowa State got up 23 to nothing at the half and then just sat back and let the game get done. Uh, defense looks good, especially the secondary. Uh, very underrated. Did not give them enough credit coming to the season for how good that secondary might actually be. Yes, I know it's UNI. <laughs> Still going to give them credit where it's due. Uh, special teams, not awful. But, but hold on, Never hold on. To... UNI, though. Like they have given Iowa State plenty of problems. And actually I was talking with Yes. Well, I was talking with Levi Stevenson and and part of the reason for that was the offensive line coach they had at UNI, who it does a really good job. He's now at Iowa it State. He's now at Iowa State. Right. <laughs> so I think if there was going to be a year that they were going to blow out UNI, it was going to be this year after you just took probably one of the best coaches they had on the staff there. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those looking back now, it's like we should have seen this coming. But I think with the history of UNI versus Iowa State, the, the thought was, hey, this is probably going to be a pretty close one. So it seems impressive kind of at first when you first think about it, given that history. But we'll have to see if they can carry it over because UNI's defense is not nothing really to sneeze at this year. So uh, special teams, not awful. Don't think we ever said that for a Matt Campbell coached Iowa State team. Run game was fine. Iowa State's going to win ugly this year. They're going to try to win ugly. They're going to win ugly if they're going to win. BYU 14, Sam Houston 0. This is Sam Houston's first game in the FBS after moving up from FCS. This is very disappointing. Uh, I came into the year thinking BYU is going to have really good offense. They should put up a lot of points in this game. Defense is suspect. This is not what you wanted to see from BYU in their first game in the Big 12. Uh, Cincinnati 66, Eastern Kentucky 13 quarterback Emory Jones in his first game for Cincinnati three for five touchdowns, ran for two more completed seven passes of 25 yards or more, including touchdown passes of 48, 49 and 65 Cincinnati fans. Take a breath. This is nice that you beat the Colonel Sanders school. You're still a seven point dog to pit next week. I'm going to give you your due for this week. You did what you were supposed to do. Uh, Oklahoma State 27, Central Arkansas 13. The Sugar Bears, yep, that's what they are. Left points on the field. I want to remind you that Central Arkansas's first drive uh, had two touchdowns and a blocked field goal, and they had zero points. Let me repeat that. They, they reached the end zone twice and attempted a field goal and had zero points. 
Uh, OSU treated this like an NFL preseason game playing three different quarterbacks. All three had like four drives. Uh, they also had a variety of players, a lot of players coming to this one. Felt like this team still trying to figure out who it is. They need to do so quickly. Kansas State 45, Southeast Missouri State 0. It was 35-0 at the half. Will Howard, DJ Glidden's, uh, Trishan Ward, RCA Garcia, and Ben Sinat all look good. This is a ranked preseason FCS team. I'm going to give Kansas State the credit that it deserves. Also, hello, Avery Johnson. That's going to be fun. That, that, that's got some, some real potential when it's his turn to take over there in Manhattan. Uh, the last game we didn't talk about from this week, West Virginia, Penn State. The game went about the way it was supposed to. Um, I actually feel a little bit more optimistic about West Virginia after that game, their offensive line, that the defense did what the defense could until the defense could do no longer. Garrett Green didn't look bad. Uh, hey, guess what? Neil Brown with a terrible decision on fourth down again. Color me shocked. Can't imagine that that happened for two straight season openers. Andy, what are your thoughts on West Virginia after their loss to Penn State in week one? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, a, a lot more of the, this is kind of what we expected. Um, I was somewhat impressed with the way that Gary Green played. Um, I think he played above what my expectations were, but it wasn't, like, phenomenally, you know, super far above it. So, Penn State, honestly, I was a little worried about Penn State for a while. I, I know people that are Penn State fans, and I was all ready to have a fun conversation when that game was a whole lot closer than it should have been, and then they pulled away at the end. But Penn State is a team... I think much like Ohio state had problems with Indiana for quite a long time as well, that they should have won this game probably by a good 40 points. Um, just the way that they were playing the way that they were able to stop what West Virginia wanted to do quite often on offense, but West Virginia was able to hang in and the defense was able to do enough to slow Penn state down so that they couldn't just, you know, burst ahead and, and take off. So you, you, you have to give that West Virginia defense some credit. Obviously the, the dam broke at the end, but I don't know if, you know, I would say probably only about half of the Big 12 teams have the offensive firepower to be, you know, as relentless throughout the entire game as Penn State was. So I think that West Virginia has an opportunity based off of this, I think, to get a few more wins than I expected them to this year. Um, but it's probably about what we expected. I was actually watching that game with a Penn State fan, and he was worried for like the first chunk of that game, which I think is a, a feather in a cap for West Virginia. And I know uh, like moral victories aren't really a thing when it comes to you know a twelve game season, but uh, you know the fact that I think a lot of people did not expect that to be competitive at all, uh, and they managed to make it competitive was is good. And like you said, uh, um, you know it was it was fourteen seven for a big chunk of that game. Twenty one seven is still a winnable game, and then that fourth quarter things just kind of you know, bowled out of control. So it, it honestly was a closer game than I think the final score indicates for the vast majority of the time. Well, and you think about it for, for West Virginia, like no shot at Texas or anybody else, but that's probably the best defense West Virginia is going to face all season. So like, I think they played admirably again, moral victory is not a thing, especially at this point uh, with Neil Brown and his tenure in Morgan. Uh, so we'll just see how things go. Look moving forward, Duquesne in week two, and then, you know, backyard brawl in week three. That one's a big one. That one's got lots and lots and lots of red circles all around it. Speaking of week two, we like to wrap our shows up each week the same way. We're going to look at what's coming up, and it is a loaded slate, folks. 
It is an absolutely loaded slate. Everyone's like, you know what we should all do? Schedule our best non-conference games the same week. You've got Kansas, Illinois on Friday. Can't wait for that one. You've got Utah Baylor in the morning. You got Elastico in the afternoon between Iowa and Iowa State. Oklahoma SMU could be interesting. Cincinnati at Pitt in the evening. Texas at Alabama at night, along with Oregon at Texas Tech. Uh, UCF on the road at Boise State. And Oklahoma State on the road at Arizona State for a little Big 12 after dark for us, <laughs> which we can all just start getting used to. 9.30 p.m. God's time kickoff. <laughs> Gives me something to watch while I'm, you know, trying to fall asleep. I, I have to stay up for that whole game. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm already like. Now, now you know how Texas Tech fans feel. The bus, the plus, okay, the positive of this is uh, my wife will be in Mexico. Uh, so my mother will actually be in town to help watch the kids for the weekend. So you can bet your ass I am not getting up early on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> Mom can handle the kids for a couple hours while dad. Philip, you Nana, forgot your you forgot Nana to say earmuffs. I'm sorry, I get like one an episode, okay? Like it's just gonna, it's just it is. Yeah, you use that on Iowa State, Iowa, but that's okay. No, that's the name. That's what the, it's not. I, that wasn't a curse word. It just is what it is. All right. So the way we preview the week, actually, before we do that, let me just let me just do this real quick. We ran through all of that. We're here. Week one is done. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we look to the future and ahead? No, like I said, I don't think that week one really told us anything. So let's get into week two where we might actually learn some stuff about some teams. Yeah, I think I think we're going to see things move toward the norm in the middle. I think there's uh, a lot of hot takesmanship happening based upon, you know, what happened in week one. Granted, we only get 12 of these things and there's only so much uh, so much you can do. But I think there are a lot of teams. Like I said, I don't know. I don't think that Colorado is as good as people thought. I don't think TCU is as bad as people are giving them credit for. I don't think Texas Tech is going to be that bad every week. I think there's just a lot of things still to be settled. Uh, to steal the bit from Solid Verbal, because I think it's fun. You know, if, you, if you're a Solid Verbal listener, they always name, like, each weekend. I know Gerald uh, is an avid listener of the Big show. Fan. One of the best college football podcasts there are. Uh, I, would, I would refer to week two as Scholar Saturday. Scholar Saturday <laughs> for the Big 12, specifically because... We're going to learn ourselves something on this weekend. <laughs> okay. We're all going to go we to do school. Be learning. We're going, we're going to learn. You're going to learn today. Uh, so the way we do this is I want to know what game you are most interested in this coming Saturday in the big 12. And you cannot pick your team. Otherwise it's kind of dull. So Gerald, as our guest this week, which game are you looking forward to the most? I mean, it feels unfair that my, you know, my team is playing in college game day and I can't pick that one, but you know, <laughs> just put that on the back burner. Uh, you know, I, I really want to see the Utah Baylor game one. Cause I think it's, you know, an actual big 12 game for lack of a better term, uh, you know, with, with the Utes coming in, but I also, I want to see if Dave Aranda can figure something out because, um, you know, Utah is going to uh, shock to no one be better than Texas state offensively, uh, you know, especially uh, if they've got their quarterback back from injury. And so I think there's going to be um, something to be, I think this is going to tell us a lot about what Baylor is going to be this year. Cause there were a lot of questions and a lot of, you know, we still have even probably more questions now. Uh, so I really want to see what Aranda can do week to week to improve that defense. You really went out on a limb there talking about Utah compared to Texas State. So 
I, you know what? That's my hot take of the week. Utah better than Texas State. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair. No, uh, no, so, not not going to touch the defense. No. Offense, definitely better. For Andy. Sure. <laughs> so I am not picking this as my game, but I do want to note that Kansas is for the first time ever doing a blackout on Friday night against Illinois. They unveiled brand new all black uniforms. Um, well, I guess not all black. They have like the blue numbers and then the white circus font. There's enough there that I really like those brand new uniforms. So just wanted to give those a plug. Um, no, no, know, hold on, hold sh- on. They're they're fine. No, oh, no, no, they're great. Ev- okay, let's just let's just do this. <clears throat> every school, every fan base loves when their school gets black uniforms. They just for like, me, it's, it's not even things- the the fact that it's a black uniform. It's the lo- the the Jayhawk they have on the helmet. I absolutely love the 1941 Jayhawk, and honestly, I think the bigger the better. And so I know there's a lot of people that don't like that Jayhawk on the helmet, but I like it on the shoulder pads as well. The circus font, like all of the other touches. Yes. Yeah. It's black. Like, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm kind of neutral on all black uniforms, but if you're going to do an all black uniform, I think this is the way to do it. Use that all black to highlight a bunch of the other stuff on the uniform. But anyway, as for the game that I actually want to say, like, I think the, the the Texas Alabama one is just like, you know, everybody is going to be looking at that one. So I would rather highlight, I think, uh, um, one or two other ones that I'm that I was kind of thinking of. Specifically, I think the Oregon Texas Tech lost a little bit of its luster. Um, obviously, with the way that Tech, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's a hot take of a, the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. I still think that could be a really good game that could be really enjoyable to watch. But the one that I think is going to tell me the most. It's actually that finale there, Oklahoma State at Arizona State, because I didn't I didn't really see much from Oklahoma State. They like you said, treat it like a preseason game. And I think a lot of the questions that we had for Oklahoma State, they would normally be answered in the first game. We didn't really get to see because they did. You know, they didn't really commit to anything. It seemed like Arizona State is a team that has is has struggled. Um, They won their first game, which honestly, I wasn't even necessarily expecting them to do that. But they are going to give us, I think, as best of an option to see whether Oklahoma State has things figured out. So for me, you know, since it is Scholar Saturday, that's the one I think I'm going to learn the most about a particular team for this year. Um, you know, obviously, of course, unless Texas just goes and like beats Alabama by like five touchdowns. So also Jane Rashad is must must see TV. Love that kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He Florida had sh- a th- Florida should have paid. He he had a throw. <laughs> In their opener again, it was Southern Utah, but like he had a throw in that game that made it immediately immediately made me go, oh, <laughs> hmm, 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 okay. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, hopefully, Oklahoma State will learn something about themselves, like who they should start at quarterback. But I would like them to do that before then. Yeah, I know Texas Alabama. That's the game we're all supposed to talk about. Game day is there. Um, that's the game. I, I think I'd be more excited if if Texas had just been vanilla as opposed to the offensive line had been a little bit more disappointing. I, I God, there's so many options to go with. I'm actually really interested in UCF at Boise State, and I know it's the like college football hipster thing to pick the P5 at G5, but UCF was impressive in Week One at home. Boise State got pantsed at Washington in Week One. I don't think either team's performance is fully indicative of like how good or bad the program is. I think this game is fun. 
6 p.m. kickoff FS1, like gonna fly. This would be a great game any other week, but because it's such a loaded week, it just falls below everything else. I'm interested to see how good UCF actually is. This is your first year as a Power 5. You're finally a Power 5. Are you still a G5 in a Power 5 conference, or are you a P5 school now? And how they look against Boise State, to me, will tell us a lot about that, especially after what we saw Washington do to Boise State in Week 1. I'm very interested in that, because the way the Big 12 feels right now is even more wide open than maybe we thought it was coming into the season. I'm still not going to pick UCF to go to Arlington. But UCF's got, like, irritates a bunch of good teams by beating them in the season when they're not supposed to and then losing to a team they're not supposed to the next week written all over them. I am very interested to see what UCF looks like this week, to see if week one was just, hey, you beat the worst team in FBS, or no, 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 you got something going here. They're going to be fun to watch in the Big 12 this year. All right, Gerald, now I will let you talk about Texas Alabama. I mean, what's what's left to talk about, right? Like it's, it's game of the week. Honestly, the storyline I'm the most excited about. Uh, Jalen Milrow and Quinn Ewers have this weird situation where um, Jalen Milrow was committed to Texas in the year, the class before Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers committed to Texas. Jalen Milrow then decommitted from Texas, committed to Alabama, and then Quinn Ewers decommitted and went to Ohio State. So this is interesting. Like them both being on the field at the same time playing each other is going to be an interesting, fun storyline. You know, Milro grew up a Texas fan and now he's, you know, in Tuscaloosa because of weird situations and an offensive coordinator that was in Austin for like six months, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited. It should be a fun game. Uh, I want to see what, um, what this Texas defense does against the Alabama offense without, you know, the crowd cheering them on and pushing them through. Can they manufacture that uh, again this week? I think they can. Uh, it's going to be fun. Can Quinn Ewers get his stuff together? Can the interior of the offensive line get their stuff together? All the questions are still there. Um, but I think Texas has had this one circled for a very long time. And I think part of, you know, probably since the clock hit zero and, you know, the Alabama kicked that field goal last year. Uh, but I think this is going to show a lot about what Texas is going to be. And, you know, part of the conversation, if you're you know on Texas Twitter is like, did Texas throw all the wrinkles in the offense against Rice that they are going to against Alabama? No. Right. So we're going to get a probably more accurate view of what this offense can be uh, with some additional wrinkles in there. And Andy, I'll say this. I'm glad Kansas-Illinois is on Friday night because it gives us an opportunity to actually pay attention to that game, which I think should be an interesting game because if it was on Saturday, like many of the good games on Saturday, it would get lost in the milieu of everything else. Instead, we get to highlight it on ESPN2 at 6.30 p.m. God's time because I think it's an interesting, like I, it's a very interesting P5-P5 matchup. Haven't seen Jalen Daniels yet for Kansas. Illinois played with its food on Saturday and almost lost to Toledo. Like I he did a last second field fun. goal to win that one. Like that mm-hmm. was crazy. So um, I'm excited for it. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. The fact that I think one of the most surprising results, honestly, was that Illinois gave up that many points in Toledo. Like Illinois was supposed to have one of the best defenses in the nation this year, according to anybody who seemed to be paying attention to Illinois. I don't, I don't know that I'm willing to say that anymore. Like, <laughs> obviously, one game, but. Like this is this is a true test for Kansas to see if this is a year where they are going to make another push and build on that last year, or if they're going to potentially take a step back and have to you know find their way forward again. Um, they are favored. Like it's not very often that you're in a game between two Power Five you know schools, and Kansas is the one that's favored. So, especially early in the season before people get to see them rolling. So I'm really excited for this game. I am 
also glad it's on Friday. As much as I don't like Friday night football because of all the high school football that happens, um, you know, I, I am glad to be able to watch this one before and then just enjoy my Saturday and watch everybody else have to stress about their Saturdays. We hope everybody will enjoy this upcoming Saturday, week two of the college football season. Enjoy them all because, folks, like week 10 will be here before you know it, and you're going to just be sitting there hating yourself if you did not take advantage of all of it. Don't forget to take advantage of promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215, at Charlie Hustle, 15% off anything at the store that is a non-sale item, first purchase, second purchase, 10th purchase, whatever you're going to do, it's fine. You bought there before already, you can still use the promo code. Go support Charlie Hustle. Uh, I want to say thank you to uh, Andy Mitz, host of the Rock Chalk Podcast, joining us, part of the 1012 Network. You can find his show everywhere podcasts are available. And Andy Mitz is at AndyMitz12 on Twitter. Gerald, host, take that, Kyle, of the Long yeah. Orn Republic Podcast. You can find it everywhere, the podcasts are available. Gerald, what's the Twitter handle, man? Longhorn Pod at Longhorn Pod on X, Twitter, X, whatever we call it. It's always Twitter. I'm I'm an old. Always Twitter. Always Twitter. Always Twitter. Uh, of course, you can find us at 1012 Network on Twitter, 1012 Pod on Instagram, 1012 Pod on. What's it called? <laughs> threads, Blue Sky. Yeah, Threads. That's the one. Uh, we're on Blue Sky. Uh, we're on Threads, too. I will not do tiktok i just i can't i don't know I, I don't i don't have the capacity for it i can't do it uh we're on youtube as well make sure if you're listening there right now don't forget like and subscribe we'll be back on and thursday don't forget the patreon either thank you oh there's so many things i have to remember we do have I a 12 network patreon and we would love link is in the bio link is everywhere it's 1012 net or it's a patreon.com forward slash 1012 network t in the number 12 the word network pick what show you want to support most of the shows are available there. You five dollars a month just to say thanks to help them keep doing what they're doing, all the hard work to produce the shows that they are creating. We do not have producers. We are not teams of four and five and six people. It's who you hear is who's doing all the hard labor to help get you these shows. Just it's an easy way to say thanks to show a little sport. Just like leaving a review, just like liking and subscribing, just like hitting us up on Twitter. So we'll be back on Thursday with another 1012 podcast with Daniel and Chris, who makes picks for week two. We will talk to you all again then. Podcast Network.